I'm crude. I am the crude oil. I'm the yeah. spurting oil from the fucking hillbilly Texas well. You know, like I know That's great. That's great. what I what yeah. I have, and I know that it's powerful. Grace Potter, she's passion, love, and joy. Spontaneous, soulful, rocks hard, hardworking, self-disciplined, living her deepest desires, her truth, and definitely living her purpose in life. It's so obvious when you talk to her. You hear her music or you see her perform. She's unstoppable, undeniable, and 100% authentic. It's for damn sure. Grace left Waitsfield, Vermont as a teenager and formed this cool band, Grace Potter and the Nocturnals, blending soul, rock, pop, folk music all together. She's a trailblazing artist and musician who has been releasing records and performing live for over 20 years. Her last album, a solo record, released in 2019 called Daylight, was nominated for Best Rock Album and Best Rock Performance at the 63rd Grammy Awards. Now, Grace and the Nocturnals also created a music festival at Waterfront Park in Burlington, Vermont, called The Grand Point. I don't know who does that, but anyway, she did it, they did it, which has attracted some amazing bands and artists like Jackson Brown, Trey Anastasio from Fish, who I recorded with, amazing, Government Mule, The Flaming Lips, Trombone Shorty, just to name a few. Her latest tour kicks off in September and is bringing her newest album, Mother Road, which is incredible, by the way. Soulful, rocking record. She's going to go across the United States. So, Grace, I could go on and on, but I want to thank you for coming here. Thank you. To my studio. This is so embarrassing. I, want, I, yeah, I love it. I, just, I love it. I love it. The first time I saw you, I was playing with Don Was. I get hired by Don Was to do these big things where I play with everybody. The only band I didn't play with with at that event was you yeah and i was so bummed out but i got to watch you perform and i was like yeah. I, my mouth dropped for many reasons yeah <laughs> one day it was your playing but i think you were dressed like a ski bunny you had like ski boots on there yeah. or uh, snow boots like a, you were like a bunny you looked so cool you had a maybe a snow hat on it was just it looked so cool was I mean, christmas jam in Asheville? where were we i don't do you know remember? I don't know. Did you do the Levon Helm thing? I did do the Levon. That's where it was. Yes, I did. Yeah. Oh man, I love that. Like I you came in with so a funny. short skirt on, and you were playing the organ, and you had like a furry type of hat on, <laughs> and the boots matched. And I went like, this was like, you know, because I grew up in the snow like you, and I thought, man, you had to have been born with this passion, this personality. You didn't just decide to become this person, right? No, no. I think everybody who gets into music knows, like, you got to be Yeah, crazy. but you have a, a real passion. Like, some people are passionate, but they don't let it out. You let it out. I think I wanted to just be in a spotlight. Like, and when I say a spotlight, I mean any spotlight. Oh, wow. Like, I was excited about music because it got me attention. But I also loved film. And I loved theater. I loved dance. I wanted to be a Olympic figure skater, speed skater. I also got into track and field and a lot of other things. But basically any individual sports always seemed to be kind of my thing. Gymnastics, all the things that would get you out in front of people in a way that allowed me to curtail my urgency yeah. into a, a physical epitome of who I am. Yeah. It's funny you mentioned that I was in this winter costume because that is exactly how I got into rock and roll. I realized I wanted to be in rock and roll and music, but specifically rock and roll, because at a certain point, my mom just asked me point blank, Grace, do you really want to be a grand slalom champion? Are we really bringing you to ski school to like become a GS skier or do you just like the outfits? <laughs> wow, that's pretty nice. 
Mom's she cool. She fucking knew. She cool. She knew. She was, my mom is so cool. She's my so dad cute. is so cool too. My Sparky and Peggy Potter, very enigmatic characters from the 70s, both of whom were ski bunnies in and of their own. They were? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Were you one of these, like, I used to hear about the Stowe kids. No, you no, Stowe Stow was kids? too fancy for us. No. Those guys were like, no, it was like fancy. a gang of them. Oh, but they're, I they mean, were incredible. Listen, Burton Snowboards and all of that gang, they, they got into another culture of skiing that I could not afford. Yeah. But we were in the Mad River Valley, which is the, oh, the, 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 the sort of the sister ski areas. There's Mad River Glen, there's Sugarbush North, and there's Sugarbush South. So I was a competitive downhill skier briefly. And I mean briefly. I was not exceptional. I was competitive. I wasn't either, but I loved it. But I loved the outfit. <laughs> I mean, I just wanted to look like Ziggy Stardust. Like the second you could get me to like a leprechaun, green, like full, like uh, it was like shiny in this way that only snow and ice oh, yeah. and spandex can be. Yeah. That just felt like I was a jolly green giant of the ski slopes and you could not fucking Were you tall me. when you... Yeah, I was absurdly uh, tall for my age. Yeah. So I used to go skiing just to get out of the house seven days a week. I grew up in Stockbridge, Massachusetts yeah. off Route 7. Oh, I know Route 7. I knew you would I knew you know So my, What's my, the ski area that you would have gone to then? Okay, so in Great Barrington, it's horrible, butternut. But then there was Boskason in Pittsfield. Boskason was as Now you get to Jiminy Peak and Brody, which is you're getting close to Vermont, mm-hmm. Williamstown. My dad would let me. I'd say, Dad, I need the car for the day to go skiing. And I'd get in the car. I'd pick up this hot chick and we'd go to Killington. Killington. Because I could get there in an hour and a half. Yeah. Okay. Killington. And I just, yeah. honestly, up skiing, making out, skiing, making out, the whole thing. But that's so close. And I think it's exactly what I wanted in the culture of skiing that... I think my parents had in the 70s, the back to the land movement and all of the guys and gals who moved there from the 60s weren't farmers, but there was this very specific movement of like right. culture to Vermont that yeah, yeah. was not just we want to be farmers, but we want to live somewhere where we can ski or have the ski culture year round. And they were from Jersey or something? My mom's from Jersey, Basking Ridge, New Jersey. Yeah. My dad's from Weathersfield, Connecticut. So see, yeah. So like kind of right in between. Yeah. They were like these people that said, you know, they made a choice. They wanted to be hippies up there, but they brought the culture from the cities. Exactly. You know, the New New York, New Jersey. A lot of kids did at that time. And there was a large amount of architects. So there was a bunch of buildings being sprouting up. They weren't just regular buildings. They were like Lord of the Rings, Shire. And like, um, do you remember that, you know, me and my... Roblio, yeah. what's yeah. the, the point? The the movie, the point. So the architecture from that, there was a bunch of architects that had come from yeah. MIT that wanted to build like yeah. little obelisks that looked like the village from the point. Then there was Dave Sellers and Yestermorrow. There's a whole group of people that want to do this like sort of Frank Lloyd Wright upside down with a dinosaur on top kind of thing. <laughs> they helped to build the Gazoonhide <laughs> Hospital from Patch Adams, the movie. Anyways. A bunch of those creative types all moved to the Valley in the 70s. So it served its purpose and it created a culture that then when I grew up was kind of petering out because all of those adults had figured out like, oh, this is what you get to do when you're grown up. But now we're going to have kids and we have to like show them how to behave. So let's like pull it back. Right. Buy a few Cabbage Patch dolls instead of cocaine. Right. Like get the eight balls out and get Cabbage Patch dolls. But something must have replaced it because they didn't. Right? Grace Potter's replaced it. Okay, because I... That's right. You are like a, oh a good drug. God, I do. You're a good drug. I've never done cocaine in my whole life. I'm afraid you of it. You are cocaine. I feel that way. Yeah. And you're I, wired hot. I came hot. from it. I know I came from it. I'm a yeah. hot engine. I, I run hot. Yeah. And there's nothing you can do about it. 
as my friend said, so she's got a dog, a new puppy. Quite an engine on that guy. He must be a puller. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I read, yeah. I'm a puller. Yeah, see, you're one of those people that, like, start, you know, this is not going to end well if I start doing that no, shit. No, I knew. Because you're, you're 200%. You go all in. Yeah, And you, ju- you just knew. But, you know, the weird thing, like, I heard an interview, and this blows me away. So you're, you know, all this amazing energy going outward. But, but you were, like, up until you were four, you were, like, or up to 12, mute. you were sucking your thumb, and you were yeah. mute for, like, four years. Because I'm legally blind. It's like, well, I know Kenny. that. I mean, if you try but, these on, try these on. I want to see them on you anyways. It's important. Oh, yeah. Oh, those, look, yeah, no. Oh, my God. You look mighty look big. Like Clive Davis, right? Oh, God, <laughs> no, that's not good. He's 95 years old. Don't ever put these on again. That was terrible. If my eyes got big, right? You're handsome without glasses on, but the second you put these on, it's like Jeffrey Dahmer, Clive Davis. <laughs> nice. And I'd also, rather be Clive. Oh, no, but Clive is... No, Clive is a sexy guy. I don't think you take advantage of people in the same way. I would like to objectify you by putting my glasses on so I can see you for real, the real you. Good. Do you have a prescription lens on? No. What happened? God damn when it. I, here's what happened. I know my eyes are great. Hearing is shot. But yeah. when I joined the Smashing Pumpkins on the Adore Tour, as I walked on stage, I had this black shirt with a yellow stripe on it. And my kid, my son, might have been 14. So I think you should wear these. And they were these yellow goggle glasses with the black rims. I put them on. And the next day, the paper talked more about my glasses than my playing. I bet you. And I went. I've seen that video. I love that. I love that. That was a heavy tour. That was great. They were the biggest alternative band in the world. I'm sure. They were like coming off of uh, Gish, Siamese Dream Melancholy. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then we were doing this Adore album, which was very different. But wow. Was it ski goggles you were wearing? Or were they no, just they like, looked like it. They just were yellow. Mountain biker kind of goggles. Uh, but they were like wraparound, right? Wraparound. And then I shaved my head completely. I was in Europe. I waited till I was in Europe. And all of a sudden, I became a chick magnet. So I went, okay, I think I'm Must staying with this glasses. program. Must be the glasses. So then I was on tour with Melissa Etheridge. I went, this is stupid. I'm going to get rid of this. This is stupid. Somebody came up to me or they wrote to me and went, dude, I drove four hours to see what glasses you were going to wear. So your glasses are like a bit... They became a thing. So now that's why I always wear glasses. This is so interesting to me because we have the opposite experience with glasses. Notice how I've taken mine off? Yeah. Because, well, first of all... You look great with them. You look great with them. They smudge my nose a bunch and they make me all red here. But for me, I was always trying to pretend I could see. I didn't know that you didn't need a prescription because I've seen you only with glasses. So I always assumed that you were, like me, a no eyesight having motherfucker. I like the way I look like glasses. First of all, you colors, can look great with glasses. Colors up wrinkles and any tired eyes. You don't have any of them. I think I do. I'm very critical. I look in the mirror and I go like, "Who's that old guy?" And I go, and then the guy in the mirror goes, "Oh, I'm back to me." I went, "Oh yeah." Turn the lights off and see you. I'll show you. I'll show you. And I shave in the dark. That's exactly what I do. It's kind of a funny skit that I have with myself. Really interesting <laughs> piece of information that I never would have put together for you, Kenny. But I will say that for anybody who wears glasses, we all value our glasses game. Like you want to have a glasses game, but like yours was part of your career. Like yours was part of your fucking infrastructure. So that's interesting because I didn't know know that about you. I think everybody, but particularly in music, we're trying to find out what is the authentic you with the way you dress, the way you act. And it took a while because I remember when I was in the Mellon Camp band, I wasn't even thinking about fashion. It was all about music. And then it took a while to figure out Here's my rule of thumb. You go into your closet blindfolded. Yeah. Whatever you put on looks cool. 
Whatever doesn't look cool, throw it away. Oh, God. So the point is, everything in your closet should make you look like you. Otherwise, yeah. get rid of it. Oh, but mine is so complex. I have the weirdest closet you've ever seen. I bet. I, I could, could tell. never. I could Mine's never. Mine's just black. No, I could never. Yeah, I could never have just like one thing in my closet. That's all right. That's you. My closet is a whole basement. And I call it the jungle basement. I love it. And, uh, but that's you, sir. It's yeah. all cool. I mean, there's like, but there's characters in there. So like. I would need to know what rack I am blindly reaching at. So I would know what character I was playing because each rack has a different story. A lot of the racks are just for my movie alone. That's like a whole separate fucking thing. That's like, you can't take that shit on tour because it's just for the movie. <laughs> then I've got like my tour clothes. Then I've got my summer dresses. But I've also got like a whole denim weathered America. I found it at a vintage store. I've never even worn it once because I'm afraid to touch it kind of denim yeah. collection. Which I'm sure is valuable, but I don't really know. Yeah, like yeah, I've yeah. got no sense of what it's worth because I'm from Vermont, where Vermonters don't understand that vintage shit is valuable. Like oh, yeah. we are just always reusing things yeah, until yeah. they're not useful anymore. It's a natural way. Their vintage is just because they wore it for until yes. it fell off of them. Exactly. And then they patched it. And yeah. then they patched it again. And then was going, that's cool. Yeah. But they're thinking, no, it's no, just. No, it's just a worn out we piece of, yeah, it's a weathered piece of Levi. Man, I yeah. would love to call in and see what would be like inside your brain. Oh, man. It's Dude, weird. I mean, it must be like it's the 4th of July. Like not to, and I always think my brain's the 4th of July. But I think you're like me on steroids in a woman. It's, the, it's, the, it's like. You're probably right. I'm unstoppable. And I'm usually yeah. the guy, when I was in school, I was always, oh, there goes Kenny. He always goes 10 times more than everybody else. Yeah. You know? And I don't but think you're like, there's any reason not to. I just said to my booking agent, who's I've worked with for 20 years, Hank Sachs, and he said, Grace, you know, at some point, you can't keep just saying you'll sleep when you're dead. Because, again, this is yeah. coming from a no-cocaine-using motherfucker like yeah, me, yeah, yeah. who I just can't turn off that switch of life. What's the longest you can sleep at? I know, let's say I've stayed up for 20, I've, I've stayed up for 72 hours, and then I always gauge it by Hunter S. Thompson, because oh, in, in yeah. Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, yeah. he says, I've been up for over 72 hours. So if I go to bed now, I'll be out for at least 20. I have stayed up for 72 hours and then slept for eight and been fine. Okay, what's your normal? I'm not saying that's cool. I'm just don't listen, viewers at home. Don't do as I say what I did. <laughs> I'm just saying that I'm built from a revving engine that comes from yeah, but some, elsewhere. I used to my my son even said it in my I don't like in sleeping. my book. He went, God, Dad would be. I slept only four hours a night, and I thought that was so cool because while everyone was sleeping, I was getting shit done. He'd go like. I go to bed. I wake up and to go to school, and my dad's still working. So, did you notice? And this is part of the question, I guess, of this whole conversation. I think that the staying up later and staying up all night stuff kind of got worse when I had kids. Well, at a certain point, oh, I, I realized that I was doing some reading and I have this thing that, you know, healthy life is a wealthy life. There's eight steps to health. And the, the last of the eight is sleep. Yeah. And I'm not the greatest sleep. That's what I was going to ask you. Yeah. I'll sleep like two hours and wake up and I go sleep another two hours and I wake up, sleep another hour. I think good to graze, like grazing sleep, like the way people well, it's are Well, the only grazers, I can do you know? it. I don't have a choice. So last night I had one of those moments where I was in bed with my family. My husband is snoring. My son is just getting to that Zoom me. Like yeah. you just feel the first little bits of his sleep coming in. And I felt perfectly at peace and at ease. And wow. I even texted Drew, my assistant. I said, Drew, I'm curled up in bed right now. It is the mellowest, most zen scene ever. 
I'm totally going to be in bed by the time you get home. And, and it's true. My intention was to go to bed. But even after I texted him that, I got up, I did two loads of laundry. I watched two episodes of Westworld because I just wanted to get into Westworld. And I wrote three emails and started a new song. And then I went to bed, but it was still 10, 20, 11 at night. It's fucking early. That's a laid back fucking night for me. (laughs) Laid the fuck back. I can totally relate. Yeah. You know, like just why would you not want to mix it up? Oh, we could do this. I could do that. Oh, I can do that. I can do that. I I think some people are lightning bolts like that. I think there's a potential within that lightning rod. And then there's a moment where you have to recognize when you're burnt and you don't have anything it's your own. Well, you have to recognize it. That's yeah. the thing. Yeah. The thing with me sometimes, I don't know about you, but I'll push too far. Yes. Because there's I a do. part of me, my body's burning out. You feel the aches and pains, but yeah. there's a part of me that's so stimulated. Yeah. Why can't you do this? Why can't you do this? Why can't you just do this? How can yeah. you do this? They call that the monkey mind. You know about this? I'm sure that you've gotten into meditation a little bit. Yeah. The meditation for me is like, I did TM way back in the day, but yeah. it's like the 4th of July. I shut my eyes. It's like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually got really tripped out on meditating because it reminded me of taking mushrooms. Yeah. And I got to a place, the the fireworks was my presence. Like there's a peace and a warmth in there if you just stop and release like four things. And I, I think it came from childbirth where letting go of trying to control the feelings that I was having kind of got me to this new place where I was like, oh my God, so many of the mechanisms of my brain were simply causing the pain. Mm. And then like I got past that wow. and I went to this weirder place. And I do believe it required most of our evolutionary shit that happens to us as people requires trauma in order to get there. Yeah. So like a lion attacking you, yeah, a yeah. boat almost sinking or you being in a car crash or going through fucking yeah. childbirth and then with you, no medication home by yourself. In the bathtub. In the bathtub by myself. With by yourself? Husband. Well, my husband husband. was there. Yes. Thank God. God love that Eric Valentine. We'll talk about him. Oh, me too. He's great. But those moments of recognition of like, oh, I've gone past the zip line, like the zip line ended and I have to now I'm still in the woods and I want to keep going. Where does that take? Oh, yeah. You want to keep going. Of course. You're the type of person, I bet, if you're in a spaceship and you're going to Mars and yep. all of a sudden they go, hey, guess what? We got about 10 more years of gas left. You're going to go, go. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. I would never Why turn back. Why either? Why would you turn Why would you turn back? I mean, exactly. No. I just love that. I think maybe rock stars should be into space travel more. <laughs> well, we, we might be in our own space travel up here. But it might all be the same thing, actually. I've got an astronaut friend, Jessica. Well, I mean, she, yeah. she's she. Oh, you do? Yes, yeah. she's a real space traveler and she's been into space. She's been on the International Space Station during COVID, actually. Wow. And yeah. she says that motherhood feels like space travel for her. She is now since a mother and that her brain has changed in the same ways that she noticed her brain changing and adjusting to wow. zero gravity. Because those are like these right. massive moments with yeah. your brain where you're just like, what the fuck? Yeah. I'm no neuroscientist. I can't get into all of that. But she is an evolutionary biologist. And she was like, yeah, childbearing and childbirth and space travel are very similar, closer than you would expect. Wow. Well, she, if she's had a kid, she's the one that can say that. But parents in general, I think, and mother, we're yeah. diving into Mother Road later. But this record for me was just as much about finding my Freedom from parenthood and my bridge back to parenthood all at once. Yeah, I was going to ask you. That was one of my later questions, but it was like, yeah, I mean, what is, 
mean, every record is is significant to you and you're like so 100% present, you know? Yeah. But this record, what is different about this record? I feel like, yeah. whoa, there's something yeah. that, yeah. you know, yeah. mm-hmm. is very heavy and maybe the next record will be the same thing in the, a different happened. way. But what is this record? I wanted to break it. I wanted to break it. I don't know what it is, but I wanted um, to fucking break it. Mm. Like I was done with it. The idea of me, Grace Potter as Grace Potter, the idea of music as this recorded industry, like a record industry or a live music industry or my bread and butter or my identity or my motherhood and like my sense of shame that I was having about having to be out on the road and come home and be Oh, you like, feel guilt? For oh, my God, dude. Every mother in the whole world does. I thought you brought your kid with you. I tried. But, you know, like as he point. gets older, school becomes a oh, piece right. of it. And then there was this feeling of like, but I haven't found my horizon. How can I bring a kid into the world and help him find his beautiful sunset, happy ever after, fucking Chang Chang, Changity Chang Shabop. That's the way it should be. Wow, yeah. When I don't know what my that's the way it should be is. It starts from you. You're the most important person on the planet. It really is. Fucking break it. Yeah. I wanted to break it all. That's awesome. So you felt that deeply. Yeah. This is heavier than music. Music was just the vehicle. It's it was just the, the voice. Vehicle. Exactly. Just the voice. Yeah. What was happening was way deeper than that. And you yeah. just used music as a way to, I, to let I, it out. Did you find when you were a musician, and I, I guess the answer is yes. But my question to you would be, can you experience things without being Kenny Arnoff, the musician? Because I realize at a certain point, there's, there's no version of my life where I can stop being the person everybody thinks I am. But maybe I need to be okay with who everyone else thinks I am and then just lose it and go catch up with my real self, which is like all the way the fuck over here. Well, I think you already are sort of doing that anyway. But the the percentage of you is that yeah. Grace Potter, the musician, because that's yeah, people are going to keep forcing you in that. Sure. That's what you do. That's your career. But you've said enough stuff already that makes me realize, man, no. The core of it all is, is your spirit in this body. Yeah. And that is directing you. That's why you got yeah. this, you got that, you got that. For like, me, yeah, my biggest identity, I guess, was, look, in high school, it was sports and music. And both. It was both. And social. I was a big socialite, which you probably right. were too. Everyone no, liked me. I was a total, oh, are you kidding me? I was not popular. Oh, no. I, tall, I, beautiful, blonde chick. No, steer. I wasn't tall, beautiful, and blonde, baby. I didn't get hot till I was 25. I figured out oh, one of my questions was I was thinking was ugly, this girl was was the, the, the guys were like crying because they were they couldn't I get it. I tried to get dudes to fuck me for years. I was trying to get laid. Nobody wanted me. My sister was the hot one. She was the brunette Spanish, wow. Spanish fucking girl wow. from Ipanema. I would have thought the opposite. Well, that's... no, no, no. I was a middle child. I had braces and dreadlocks until I was like fifteen. Then I had my first boyfriend, but I was sort of the nerdy like theater camp kid. And I had, How old were you then? Uh, 15. 15. Um, oh, that's late. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, when did you kiss? What was the first time you but, kissed? I mean, I, I kissed a lot of motherfuckers when I was in fifth, sixth grade because you could yeah. kiss anybody. Yeah, you could, yeah. But I was a little bit inappropriate. I was like pushy like, about my wanting to like have... Like lick their whole face? Yeah, I, I licked think? faces. Yeah, yeah. That's what I did to Iggy Pop. I can relate. I Iggy I can, yeah. licked his whole body. When I meet somebody that I think would be... Of my ilk. And in my early days, I did not have any understanding of physical restraint. So I just felt like, okay, let's just like get into it like dogs. You know, you just like probably scared people. Yeah, I scared the shit out of people, which is why we were, you know, there's a lot of things about how I exist in the world that is 
both protective of my femininity, but also aware that like this is definitely the first time around where I had a pair of tits. And it's great. Yeah. The world you live in is finally catching yeah. up to who you've been all along. Oh, yeah. I didn't know. I oh, you know who to pick. Yeah. You get smarter. You go like, okay, we don't need this. They're never going to get it. They're not going to get it. Never going to get it. Never going to get it. You start to identify <laughs> who the people you should be around. And I definitely did. In Vermont, there was Slim Pickens. So Slim Pickens, my yeah. friends and my, si- yeah. I mean, it was all based on my sister's friend. So I was never the hot girl ever wow. or popular at all, at all. No. See, I thought you were like, you know, hurting guys left and right. No. They were crying, thinking she won't even talk to me. No, no. Opposite. I was, even when the nocturnals started, one of the interesting things about the way that band started was that I just couldn't believe anybody wanted to hang out with me at all. God, when you watch you on stage, it's like, uh-uh. it's like, or maybe, no. I mean, I look at it as like, oh my God, I wish you would like even look at me type No, thing. it was all shucks. I can't fucking believe it. And wow. I think it wasn't necessarily this like systemic feminist, like, hey, let's make sure that she feels like she's in her place because she's not really supposed to be here because she's a female rocker. I didn't feel like there was some version of me that was standing out and needed to make myself known. It's that I couldn't believe anybody liked my singing. I couldn't believe anybody liked me as a person. I love that the Nocturnals wanted to keep on going, like, and that they would leave college to come tour with me. And I Uh, felt like I owed it to them. Like, if they're going to say that they want to do that, then I have to do I have to do You're going to quit college to be with me, and I'm not worth anything. And like, oh, my God. Yeah. Wow. Self-worth was a big problem for me. I mean, I also, listen, I was a middle child. Between an extremely popular, overachieving, amazingly talented older sister Uh, and a brother with epilepsy. Right, right. So I definitely... Had an interesting position. I I was like, where do I belong in any of this? Or should I just shut the fuck up and stay quiet for the rest of the time? But I have a feeling your parents are so supportive of all you guys, They were. They were incredibly supportive. Yeah. Universally, uh, problematically. I mean, problematically. the rest of the world's not like that. Yeah. Yes, I didn't understand what the world worked like. My twin brother's a... You have a twin? Identical. Dude, he's a doctor in Stockbridge. You know, Lyle Lovett, they tackled him and said, hey, Kenny, so I'm not Kenny. Oh, yeah, you're Kenny. No, I'm not. You're Bonnie Raitt band. Oh, he's become famous. I said, John, I hope you tell people you're not Kenny. You're going to ruin... My relationship. Well, also, I don't think anybody would want you performing brain surgery on them. No, I'm not, not sure what your brother does for as doctor. He's just a, a psychoanalyst, you okay. know. Okay. Oh, well, that's safe. But, but he told me <laughs> he needs as much help as we do. He told me because my mom was such a soul man. The children were everything. If somebody like, yeah. I remember when I was a little kid, somebody threw a snowball at me and I came in crying. She was outside, barefoot, in a gym, yeah. with a snowball, whipping them at the kids. Yeah. And then I went, what? Um, well, she no, loved you. She did. Know? She would and kill for us. This is interesting because you've mentioned your mom a few times and her physicality with you, which I find to be what I know with my son is the most important thing I'm building with him is a trust and an honor of safety. I'm protective over him, but I do feel like I get a little tiger princess with him. Like I get mean in a way that like. I'm not well, going to. Yeah, of course. Yeah. The mother. Defensive. You're the yeah. mother, like a lioness. Yeah, the lioness. What do you think a lioness and a lion do? They yeah. protect their cubs. Yeah. It's instinct. Yeah. My brother said, you know, you have to realize a lot of people you're going to find aren't going to give you the love and support that mom gave us. Aww. So your son, you might want to say, listen, I'm a super mom. Yeah. I'm the lioness here. Yeah. But the real world, you may have a hard time finding women that are going to give you give the you love that. and the lioness 
and the protection and the kind of yeah. everything I give you because I'm not, I'm unique. Yeah. And that's great. But the real world, there's only one Grace Potter well, and, by a long shot. Well, so thank you. Yeah. I mean, I definitely, he knows that. He's actually figuring out that like that's if good. he says, yeah. Like, hey, do you know what my mom, what does your mom do? Like, he'll sort of fish for yeah. storytelling points yeah. with other kids. Being oh, yeah. Like, oh, well, my mom, it's Vermont. There's like 13 of us in the whole fucking town. Like, everybody <laughs> knows what I do and everybody knows. He doesn't need to explain this, but he doesn't understand that our life in Vermont and our life in Topanga are two different things. Like, in Topanga, where he was born, we have an immense group of people, all of whom have insane, illustrious careers. Yeah. Everybody here is doing something amazing. Mm -hmm. And so is everybody in Vermont. The people in Vermont, the only difference is that where we are in proximity to the creativity that's going on in that world is it's our barn. It's our, we are the filmmakers. We are the, we are making albums. We are doing these things. Most other people are dairy farmers. They pour concrete. They are police officers. Well, yeah. They are artists. My dad's a sign maker. Yeah. Like all of our friends are living their beautiful, happily ever after. Right. The end of their grease. Chang, 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 shoe bop. Yeah. That's the way it should be. There, that's the way it should be, is actually putting fucking planks into the ground yeah. for a deck. Well, yeah, of course. And I really think he having access to both of those versions of life are important. And that my fame has nothing to do yeah. with how much I care about him. But also, indeed, any person, not just a Grace Potter mother, but any mother, your mother especially, sounds like a fucking hero. And most kids don't get that. And I yeah. really believe that yeah. who we are when we're supported by the people around us, whether they're our parents, teachers, fucking friends, even godparents and best friends of the family, yeah. the tribe that builds you, yeah. you don't have to stay loyal to them forever, but you know that there's things that come out of you everywhere you go that come from this shared knowledge that like, if you don't get that encouragement in those really important pivotal moments in your life, you won't be okay. You're going to have these weird access to bury, access to yeah. grind with people that you don't even know. Yeah. And if you can't figure what you just said out, then yeah. you'll be frozen and paralyzed for the rest of your yeah. life. At the very least, you want to recognize what you just said. So you go, oh, okay, when I act this way, it's because of that. So because I that. can't, so you don't misblame yeah. what your situation is on something else. It's, oh, okay. I mean, life is an experience. I mean, everybody's had some trauma or something. Right. Just being born is traumatic. But, you know, right. it's to understand and say, hey, my journey is to get the most value out of this life. It's all we life. have. It's all it? you have. I'm actually really glad your brother's a psychoanalyst, actually. <laughs> like, I was worried about it at first because I'm thinking about... Worried. Well, just that your brother who looks just like you... Oh, is, yeah. I'm thinking, like, what if Kenny Arnoff, like, just wandered into the psychoanalyst's office one day, just pretended to be his brother and just started, like, doling out advice? I actually think you'd be a really good psychoanalyst. And I think I could see how those two careers, drumming and playing in rock and roll bands and dealing with the interpersonal stuff. Oh, yeah. Because it's all about feelings, isn't it? Yeah. You're getting deep. You're going this way. And then you play and you give it out that you way. Give it you give it out. Gotta, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, he's great. He had this thing where he was working with, well, he still probably does with children. You know what you do with them a lot of times? John, I hope you don't mind me telling this, but he would play with them. You mean like play with trains? Of course. Or play you with just toys? get down on the ground with them. Let them play. Yeah. Oh, he said, what do you like to do? I like to play basketball. You want to shoot some hoops? They get comfortable and they like, oh, he's with me now. And then they start talking. Just. You don't have to say anything. Do you have you have you read the book Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow? No. 
So it's all about this. Gaming. Oh, it? So it's about video games, but it's really about play. Yeah. Play is the only way. So play and trauma are the two ways that we uh, learn anything. Wow. Anything. And it doesn't necessarily matter how old you are. There's these like openings in our brains that sort of begin in one place. Like when you're for language, you're spongy for language. Yeah. So like if if we have an Italian speaking person in the house, yeah. suddenly Italian is going to start showing up in our son. Yeah. But there's also these spongy moments all through life. And the place where they arrive is in play. And it's not the same as, oh, my God, there was a car accident and this is what caused this. Oh, my God, I saw Jesus in the water because my dad died and I was going through a grieving. Pre- I almost died. I you know, suffocated yeah. in the sand and all these weird, crazy things that happen that are terrible and negative. They can happen in pivotal moments in your life and change you. One thing that changes you slowly and cryptically and beautifully is play. I think that's why musicians that's, are so connected. That's incredible. You know? I have to check that book out. It's mm-hmm. a fucking great book. It's fiction, but it's a yeah. beautiful description of how play, it overrides trauma. Maybe that's why I've, my whole life has been about play. Bitch, my life is a play. Life was a, it's a, Did we just saw the world fucking progress? I wonder what act I'm on. I know this much. I got a billion left. I'm I telling you that. that. My, I love it. I, my goal is to live to 120. I probably won't be so good looking. I but think you will. I might be Yoda at that point. Green and true. Maybe then you'll finally fit into these Clive Davis glasses. Because at this point, you don't belong there. No. I don't like it for you. These are Tom Fords. They're way I love them. better. Yeah. This is the first episode I've used. I usually use the black Tom Fords, mm-hmm. but I, wanted, I felt like this was more a little bit of you. You felt my tortoise shell vibe? Yeah. Dude, I'm the most tortoise shell motherfucker you've ever met. Are you kidding? It's the I'm first so time I put these on. I just got them and they're on on your episode. I want to show you. Well, I don't have my phone with me, but I will tell you. My father has long stories about how tortoise shell glasses changed his life. What? It's bizarre. But I'm not your dad. No, but my dad is. Is he still alive? Yes, he is. In is fact, your, is I your have, mom still alive? Yes, Peggy Powder and Sparky Potter. PP. I have to go back to Vermont because it's my dad's 75th and we're having a massive retrospective. He won't call it a birthday party, right. but he's turning 75. He wants to stay young. So he's very shy about this story. But basically, at a young age, he started wearing glasses around this shape. He needed them. Yeah. But when he went to college, he developed, he was, his name was Richard, but he develops this nickname, Sparky, because Love. I guess he peed on a fire hydrant after taking a woman on a date. And all the girls from the sorority saw him pissing on the fire hydrant. And were like, oh, Spark, you know, they call him yeah. Sparky. Later, when my mom, got together with him. They were at the 1981 Olympics. He was a photographer on site for the 81 Olympics. And oh. you couldn't get a restaurant. You couldn't get a table anywhere in town. But my mom went up to the maitre d' and was like, I wasn't going to say anything, but that's John Denver. Was he wearing glasses? He had these yeah. glasses, yeah. but tortoise shell, more yeah. tortoise shell than these. And good fucking Lord, my dad looks like John Denver. It's not even funny. Like he oh looks so much like John Denver with this certain hairdo and this hair. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. think you could probably put it together that yeah. like we had this aura of it's a little William Shatner. Yeah, yeah. A little like there's something in there. He did blend in. He looked yeah. like he was somebody. He looked like he was somebody. He had that puffy vest on that. Yeah. I can roll, take me home to the place I belong. And he just had and he had a great voice. So oh, wow. it has a great voice. So you got maybe your voice. Yeah. My dad was a singer. Your mom was a piano player? Mom's an amazing singer, piano player, right. piano, oh, piano teacher. Dad sang in the uh, Laurentian choir. Oh, and, wow. There you go. Yeah. There, there it is. They just knew that they were not meant to be insurance claim people. Yep. You know, like they weren't the corporate. Get out of Connecticut. Get out of Connecticut. Go to Vermont and create. That's it. 
be creative. Just create. And they did. And they created you. They sure did. Good job, Thanks, man. Thanks, mom and dad. So now I got to go home and be the maitre d' of that ceremony. Oh, yeah. That's great. On When's Saturday. his birthday? September? This coming Saturday. No, like I'm oh, flying home. Like? Yeah, like man, in so you Thanks for squeezing your schedule into my this schedule. Is it. This is all I'm doing. Well, oh, I, I got KCSN it. tomorrow and then that's it. But you go on tour in September. Yeah. So when did you go like, think I'm going to be a solo artist? I mean, was it like, I'm going to be a solo artist if I'm going to leave the, the nocturnals? Or? No, it was more interpersonal than that. There were a lot of things about it that started. And I think if you've, as you have been in many bands, you know oh, yeah. that the interplay between bands is very much what any other business would refer to as an HR issue. Yeah. And HR does not mean that the human resource that is each human resourcing their strength and talent into a place is ever the only problem. But I think that the interpersonal relationships between a bunch of people who are both working in a essentially a corporation. Yeah, I mean, that's really what I had become. My songs were written by me. Yeah. But the band was a bigger thing than just me. Yeah. And I needed them, or at least I thought I did. Well, Tom Brady needed his whole sure. team to win the Super Bowl. Sure. You know what I mean? He That's didn't how like, stops, though. Yeah. He's like, yeah. I you believe re- in team. Well, I look at you as a team player and a team leader, because it's your name. What do you think makes a great team leader? Someone who can honor every single person in the room equally, not dividing, not divisive. And like, genuinely, this is just at the heart of what I look for in a leader. When I'm not the leader, is someone who I trust more than me to make sure that everyone in the room feels valued. Everyone, yeah. That's well, teams it. win Super Bowls, not individuals. No. If you think about it. It's exactly Those right. are those magic teams that win. It's like when everyone, yeah. when they operate just what you just said. Yeah. And they operate that way, everybody's important. Everybody well, feels sure. important. I mean, even Beyonce or, you know, like right now this summer is this huge summer of all these movies, Barbie movie and Oppenheimer yeah, 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 yeah. and these big sort of moments where someone is at the forefront. There's a face at the front of the whole thing. But anybody who knows anything about anything knows how many spokes in the wheel there are, how many people came into it. Anthony Hopkins had one of those amazing tributes when he was honored his Lifetime Achievement Award, where he was just like, to the guy running the cable, to the woman adjusting the light, just so. To the person who's filling out the chart at the end of the day, the hour chart. And making sure that the royalties actually get to the fucking performer. Yeah. All these little tiny pieces of the puzzle. Yeah. No one is self-made. That's bullshit, no. man. That is And nobody can bullshit. operate on their own. No. You got to have people around you. And in order to make sure they understand where they are, I don't even think of it as leadership. I just think of it as being a good person. You're a great team player, a great yeah. teammate. But so if somebody has to be the leader, I'd want you to be the leader because you understand what it's like to be a team Player. As long as it's not the end of the world, because then I'm the worst. Because I'm like, uh, but you see, as a team leader, you hire the right people to make those decisions no, to save have, the world. I have arranged. I don't know if you have, but like, I've found my people that have, like the, the world ends. Like, I know exactly who you I want call right nearby. Away? Yeah, no, that's a good and word. I and I I've, I'm clear about it though. I'm upfront about the fact that that's who they are. I'm not like I'm gonna be all like convoluted. Like, hey man, can you come let me into your bunker? Uh Uh-uh. No, I know where and how those people are in my life because not because I need them now, but because I want to provide for them up Mm. until the moment when I need them. I want to make sure everybody knows how much I appreciate them. It's the same thing. It's this lioness thing of like protecting my child. Yep. I'm and friends and family. I'm protecting that because I want him to be better than me later. I know he will be. And I don't even need him to be in service to me. I just want him to be in service to the world. 
I don't understand why people serve themselves all the time. My music festival, Grand Point North, is something that I built with my ex-husband, Matt, and our partner, Alex Crothers, at Higher Ground. It's something that meant the world to me. And I genuinely was going to do it whether there were other people involved or not. I just wanted to have a festival. I was painting pictures of it since I was 12 years old of what my festival would look like with all this ornate sort of descriptive the qualities of the festival, and many of them came true in my festival. Wow. But when it fell apart, I realized something, which was that everyone comes into a festival with different agendas, not because they're evil, but because everybody is serving a different spot in their heart, in their bank account. In their journey. In their journey, in their position in the world. And you cannot judge them for not having the same alignment with you. But... You can see what you have to offer and try and regurgitate that out into the universe better. So a lot of what my record is, is essentially, I didn't know what to do when the festival couldn't happen with COVID. And I thought, okay, where would I put myself? How would I position myself? I didn't know my, or superposition, as we say, like in quantum physics, Mm. you can be in two places at once. I don't believe I was ever in it to matter. I was in it to make sure that Vermont mattered and that musicians around the world, like Mavis Staples, I had Mavis coming. I had Emmylou Harris coming. I had Derek and Susan. I mean, all these bands that were going to come. And the plan was just to to make sure that they never forgot how powerful it is to play in Burlington so they would always say yes to that gig next time. And that Vermonters would get culture. That they would keep on taking that box. Everybody wins. Vermont's a great place. I played... I can't remember what place they played up there. All I remember was I got Ben and Jerry's ice cream. Yeah. I was there with Fogarty. Some f- oh, I'm sure it was Shelburne Farms or maybe yeah, just that's Shelburne Farms. Yeah, Shelburne Farms is yeah. a beautiful, beautiful thing. Oh, my God. And I, I'm playing there in, in a week and a half. Man, I yeah. just, I mean, Vermont to me has always been a special place because, I mean, that was where the snow was. It's where you got all your poontang. Yeah, man. Oh, I brought it with me. <laughs> Never go someplace without having a poontang with you. Oh, but if you had seen the snow bunnies up oh, there. Oh, oh, dude, I knew. I didn't feel worthy. They call it Mascara Mountain for a reason. I didn't have the cool gear back then. Mm -hmm. I didn't have much money. So I was, you know, so I thought, "Mm." but I still work in this ski That's why I don't like skiing, though, is that it's so fucking expensive. It's so elitist. I know. Why? That's why I worked at a ski shop just so I could get, they let me test the skis out there. When the the red heads came out, when the head came out with the red, where Robert Redbird had that movie, uh, Downhill Racer. Oh, my God. So this this is what I'm talking about, though. I genuinely grew up in this world where I didn't know that skiing was a rare and like yeah. singular experience. Right, right. I took it for granted. Yeah. It's easy for me in the service industry, being the girl that was sharpening the skis and waxing the skis and renting them out to people, being like, you rich fuck. Good yeah. luck. I hope you enjoy yourself. Yeah. Now I don't feel that way. I actually really respect it, but I just, it's so expensive and it's so dangerous, Kenny. Why are you still skiing? Stop not, skiing. I stopped. It's and so you know dangerous. You know People something? need you to be a drummer, not a fucking skier. Check this out. <laughs> you and I have something in common. What was the last place you skied at? Jackson, Wyoming. Jackson Hole, right? Yeah, Jackson Hole. Guess was, what? Yeah. That was the last time I went skiing. When was it? Do you remember? Maybe six, seven years ago. Oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, I was exactly. It was right when Matt Musty, I remember. Damn. Matt Musty, my drummer, yeah. Allison's husband, yeah. had just gotten this offer to join Train. And he got a good offer. It was like wow. a lifetime achievement award kind of offer. Yeah. Where it was like, dude, you can't say no to this. This yeah. is too amazing. Yeah. But he was like, but that means I can't tour with you for the Daylight record. 
because daylight was about to come out. Yeah. Yeah. It was winter of 2018. So this would have been probably five years ago. Yeah. Five years ago. Mine was a little before that. A little bit before that. But yeah. still, I mean, what better place to ski? And well, I that's because the snow is great. I stopped because I blew my knee out playing semi-pro. My brother was playing semi-pro soccer. I took his place in the game because we're twins and I got creamed and, you know, they took the medial mis- meniscal cartilage out. I still played sports, but like, hey, that's you know, the clock is ticking. A good amount of time to spend with your soccer I, self. I'm like, not, why don't you go find your drummer self? I, I'm not I'm, doing, I'm not skiing anymore. I'm speaking from a place of, I'm an energetic person. I have so much life to live. Yeah. I don't want to give any more of it to sports. Yeah. But I also love sports. Sparky Potter, my fucking dad, yeah. who is like, his name is Sparky. What do you think I grew yeah. up with? He was my coach. Oh. He was everybody's coach. Wow. So, but he didn't even know how to play soccer. He just became a soccer coach. Were you a he soccer also, player? Yes, I was. Maybe I was an extremely could... good soccer player. As far as team sports go, yeah. that was sort of my forte. It was also right around the time when the Women's World Cup started really mattering. Ooh, yeah. And he went to high school with Tony DiCicco, the coach of the fucking Women's wow. World Cup team. And Tony came to our house many times. We'd all go skiing together. Wow. Me and the DiCicco boys would go wow. skiing. I mean, it sounds like royalty, but this is Hartford, like, in the depths of who my dad really is. I think he was secretly wished he was an Italian guy from the depths of Hartford on the field playing soccer. But he had come up through the football world, so he didn't know anything about soccer. So for him to become a soccer coach was asinine, except that we were in Vermont and there was no one else to be the coach. Wow. You know. So he stepped up. Sparky stepped up. Sparky always steps up. Tell me, did you guys get that studio going in Vermont? Yeah. It's up and running. Oh, baby. It is a whole... It's a barn, right? It's Willy Wonka's chocolate factory of audio. Come up. I gotta come see it. So one of the things that happened when we started building it is that, again, so the farm we built has a lot of history from what I would refer to as the boomer window Mm -hmm. in which Vermont farmers and what was the tradition of Vermont that you think of when you think of bucolic, like, Fields full of cows and rolling hills and very few houses. That's all why my parents moved there. But then this culture crush came in, like, you know. Is there houses everywhere now? Not necessarily. Because the zoning laws are strict. No, zoning is strict. And there's no billboards allowed and there's no spotlights anywhere on any stage. That's a whole other story. But I got to this place where I realized who my parents were and what it was about what they did to the culture in the Mad River Valley that changed everything. And it was because it was actually like an onslaught of children. So the parents in the lifestyle that they had built, this American dream lifestyle, built a lifestyle where they could afford to bring their kids on a ski vacation in the 50s and early 60s. As those kids got old enough in late 60s, they all were like, all right, fuck you, mom and dad. Thank you for that American dream you built for me. I'm going to go fuck you. And I'm going to go back to the land. I'm going to go be a farmer. I'm going to go whatever. And some of those kids didn't say fuck you. Some of them just said, I'm going to take your money and I'm going to make you proud. Yeah. My parents weren't one of them. My parents were like, we don't have any money. We're not asking for money. We're just going to build whatever we can from this. And a lot of their friends did the same. So there was a bunch of like really rootin' tootin' hardworking motherfuckers along with a good, I would say, a good flock of moneyed people. Yeah. The farm that we bought is one of those moneyed people flocks. Yeah. So it's built well. Built well. I mean, it was built in 1840. The house. But they fixed the people they fixed uh, before it up you fixed time. it up. Big time. They did a lot of the work for kind you. Kind of money that I would never spend yeah, on you the wouldn't farm spend house. Money. In fact, it's illegal too now because that would have been a protected historic right. house. But anyways, yeah. 
So it's amazing how yeah. so you have the barn and then you have the house. Yeah. Two buildings. Yeah, one on one side of the river, one on the other. Wow. Yeah. So an airport uh, in between. How many is it a big house? Or you have how many bed it's like a big old farmhouse? It's a pretty big farmhouse. It's got six bedrooms. Oh and, yeah, there you go. And a big old basement, which is my closet, which is why I can't just blindly <laughs> I can't do the Kenny Arnoff, like grab into my closet and find a cool thing. Like so you, I might end up looking like like fully Chewbacca. Yeah, like, yeah. I have a full Chewbacca outfit in there that is probably going to be on the cover. It's of like you, you live in your closet. Your closet is like, yeah, that's that's amazing. Well, when I come yeah. up there, I'll check that You'll out. You'll see. You know You'll what I'm going to do when I come up busy? I'm going to go. You turn the lights off. I'm going to go in the closet and see what comes. Oh, my God. Please. Yeah. Anything you find I in there grab, is going to no, be. No, I'm going to do it all blindfolded. So I, I also ahead. have wigs. Yeah. There's a lot of wigs down there. I mean, I'm like more of a rose from Schitt's Creek. Like, I realized that I'm oh, man. more, love that. I'm more her that's than anybody. Great. Oh, my God. That's a great I know. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm just, yeah. I'm like, I'm just a work of day gal. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm always trying to figure out who I am in any number of situations, including being a Vermonter. You know, I just spent two well, weekends in a row with Bernie Sanders trying to impress upon people in Vermont the importance of the arts and yeah. funding of the arts, right. which is an interesting uphill battle because Vermonters very much like their privacy. They want to like stay quiet oh, to themselves. Yeah. And like, that's not. why they move there or that's why yeah. they live there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah including my parents. They're like, yeah. stay quiet. Keep it quiet. Yeah. Keep it in small circles. And I'm not interested in small circles. No, you're lights. I want lights, camera, action, yeah. baby. Yeah. You're probably going, there comes Grace Potter. Shut the door. You know Are you ready for this? It, oh no, she's moved back. It's people know who I am and in many well, yeah. factors, but I also feel like I had to own my place in the world in a new way as a mom, but also as as a Vermonter that wasn't there on my parents' terms, but came there on my own terms. Yeah. And I'm still working through it, honestly. Dude, no, you're just growing. You're just yeah. getting started. Uh, I hope so. I think so. I'm fucking 40. I won't tell you what I am, but you know. Any age you can be is just kind of the hokusai painting that has shown up in your life in that moment. Like to mark your to mark your territory, you got to piss on something. Mine is a tidal wave of 40. I'm happy. I'm proud of my title. Listen, own everything because every, I remember my mom saying, I don't know what age, it was way up there. She says, oh man, I loved my 60s. It was great. It was where I was still physical and I had all this wisdom and, you know, it's just. I I, I think my 60s are going to be really good. That's cool. I mean, it's. I mean, um, I'm a cooktop ready for my 60s. I want that. I want that ramen noodle mix. I'm ready yeah, for yeah, it. Man, you know what? I'm going to stick around and watch what yeah. you turn into because it's going to get yeah. interesting. Interesting. <laughs> you know, I've always felt like Steven Tyler and I also come from the same shit and Little Richard. So Little Richard, oh my God. Steven this... Tyler, Tina Turner, and me. I think those are I know too all much. Of them. Mick has too much structure for me. And Mick, I always thought Mick and I were very much alike. Robert Plant and I are very similar. Yeah. I've never met Steven, nor have I met Tina, which is sad. Tina Turner? Yeah, I know. Yeah, I met both of them. Mick I recorded with, and I was supposed to go on tour with them, but I got, uh, my schedule is what, Mick is cool, man. Oh, Mick is amazing, but Mick is just oh, far he, too self-regulating for me. Oh, he knows what's going on. Oh, yeah, he's, he's got, perfected. He's perfected. He's perfected cool, but he knows everything that's going on. He's got the piece. He's, in, yeah. he's a team leader. Yeah, and I, I think... He's he, not a he's pinball. He's the coach and the team leader. He's the machine. He's not the pinball. Yeah. That's the thing. Oh, he's I'm, in, yeah. I'm the pinball that you could throw into a machine 
And I think I will will my way out of a machine I yeah. don't belong in. Oh, you'll get all the ding, 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 yeah, ding, yeah, ding, yeah, ding, yeah. ding, 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 ding. Yeah. That's you. That's, you'll get the biggest score with yeah. Grace Potter. But then I got to go out of that machine. I got to jump over to the next one. I always like the Elton John machine. Oh, yeah? Yeah. That's one of my <laughs> favorites. I worked with him, too. But that's the thing is that there are certain characters I see in the world that I identify with, and they all seemed to be rock stars. Yeah. So part of why I ended up becoming a rock star was that I think that's just a natural connection. It's yeah, a natural yeah, yeah. inclination. Everyone you mentioned is completely authentic. They're doing the, their way. Yeah. They broke out of the mold. You identify with that. Yeah, I do. And it's primordially American, which is interesting because I think the British, that's why Robert Plant, David Bowie, Mick Jagger, three of my favorite human beings on earth, aren't the people that I identify with because they are just far too polite. Oh, the British. They're thing. delightful. Yeah, yeah. They're yeah. just so, they're so, I'm crude. I am the crude oil. I'm the yeah. spurting oil from the fucking hillbilly Texas well. You know, like I know that's great. That's great what I what yeah. I have and I know that it's powerful, but I also don't understand how to contain it sometimes. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. What do you think like someone like uh, these people you mentioned, like Mitch Jagger, how, how would they react to you if you haven't met them? How do you think they would react to you when you're like, ha. Oh, I know how they would react to me because I met them and I didn't know what to do with me. I was right. yeah. most of the time, yeah. I think. And it's funny because I find myself closing off to younger artists that are also like me. Yeah. L. King came into the room once. Yeah. And I was getting ready and we all were sharing a big dressing room. And when she came in, she was just a fucking storm. Yeah. Like a storm in yeah. the room. And it made me get very quiet and very like, uh-huh. I was sort of planning my moment to speak with her. Yeah. But she was already fucking way gone by the time I had a chance to like meet her. Because when you're coming from that oil spurt version of yourself, you aren't going to really be aware of anybody else in the room, which is also a loss. It's almost like something... you were watching yourself walk in yes, the room. Yes, You were watching much. yourself. Yeah. You stepped back and watched. I watched. And that's very much what I did when I was a little kid, too. I oh, was that's where the, yeah. the mute for four years, you were trying to they figure out who you are. They called me Stein. I was a quiet I kid. Love it, man. I was not popular. I was very quiet. Okay. I was also legally blind. But I knew what was going on in the room. I could read a room. I still can. You were doing all your research. I think I might have been. You were doing all your research, and then you went, I'm here. Yeah, I'm not strong, too. I what, was it piano or guitar was your first? Piano instrument? was my first. Because your mom was teaching? She was my piano teacher. Yeah. And guitar was one step remote because it was like, I had friends with guitars, right. and I loved it, but that was their guitar. You know how, like, when you have a friend with a toy, yeah. that's their toy. Oh, to me, cool. the reason I didn't play guitar for so long was because I didn't own one. My parent, Neither of my parents played one, and Mireille... Von Trapp, my friend who had a guitar, that was her guitar. So like, yeah. and so you didn't, her aunt you didn't Maria, have it all the time. No, like Maria Von Trapp and all the Von Trapp yeah. kids, that, that was like yeah. a Von Trapp guitar, you know, like, so long, farewell. Yeah. To me, it felt like if I'm going to play guitar, it would have to be this folk song. Did you teach yourself how to play guitar? Yeah, later. When Who's I was 20. guitar player on your... The new record? The new record. Nick Bachrath from The Cage of the Elephant. Dude, that, that was it the second song? Where it's an incredible Ready, acoustic set, guitar. Go. No, it's the second. What is that song? It starts off with acoustic guitar and it's incredible. Is it? Are you talking about Little Hitchhiker? Are you talking about me? Yes, Little Hitchhiker. Or are you talking about Lady Vagabond? Because Lady Vagabond Lady, is like dang, 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 dang. Okay, so Little Hitchhiker's. She was on her way. Yes, Little Hitchhiker. It's incredible. That's me and Nick Bachrath on guitar. Well, tell him he's incredible on that. I will. Vagabond is one that sounds like it came out of a Tarantino movie. Yeah. I think. <laughs> 
Should the Tarantino call him? Yeah. Do I need a song? I wish he you know had. I, mean? I wish he would. Oh, he'll use it. It would be fun if he did. It would uh, be and, great. And then, That's sort of been my dream all along. Yeah. Guys, because I studied film and I was studying Japanese Oh, man, that song. I mean, I, what made you write that song? Like I a, needed my like hero, a, who was me, but yeah. was also not me, to have an origin story that was explained my whole psyche from the age of nine to the age of 34. Oh, wow. Which is basically to say, I've always felt like I've been kind of alone on this journey, even when I had well, love. You are, in a way. Yeah, I mean, we all are. Yeah. You know, but Lady Vagabond had to be this sort of isolated character who like sits and eats beans around a fire by herself. Oh, you yeah, know, like yeah. she doesn't need anyone else. She can handle herself. And when I ran away from home in real life when I was nine, which was a, a long piece of lore, which my neighbors, Bobby and Valerie, could corroborate. I just saw them the yeah. other day. They were just like, Grace, you told the story exactly the way it happened, which wow. is funny because I usually make shit up. And they're like, no, that's actually how it happened. Because I love to extrapolate facts and use them to serve well, my storytelling. Then I want to ask you but, something. That song, Masterpiece, the lyrics, yeah, said that. Yeah. In the seventh grade, I realized everyone around me was an asshole. Yeah. Is that a true in story? in the middle of the seventh grade. Yeah. Is that a true thought? Did you think that? Yes, I did. I I knew you did. Like any kids my age. I knew it. I liked adults. I thought my parents were the coolest people I knew. Well, that's nice. And I thought that's a great line. Yeah, but it's true. And also, it's such a great invocation for a rock song. Yeah. Because if you say somewhere in the middle of the seventh grade, I realized that everyone my age was an asshole, and it changes that (laughs) key. You go to this place of like you either relate to that feeling or you don't. I'm not trying to scare away the assholes right that i had several friends text me and be like was i the asshole because now that yeah yeah, so many of my friends were like i'm sorry if i was one of the assholes none of them were because obviously they knew me by then i think everybody who knows me knows me to say i don't ever really think people are assholes I just knew that seventh grade was an asshole-ish time. It, it is an asshole time for Including myself. Dude, oh, I mean, everybody's like, that's when everyone's like being mean to each other. Uh, okay, cute. Hormones are changing. I mean, your kids are probably a little older than that, but do you remember what it was like for yourself to go through that? Oh, no, no, you would listen. And I, how I was, different it was when a kid went through it? Like, I don't know because I haven't had a kid. Well, I remember getting, I'm a tough, sensitive guy. Yeah. Super sensitive. Yeah. But tough. But back then, I wasn't tough yet. It, well, I didn't think I was. Right. And I remember when you're 13 and all of a sudden a bunch of kids were going, oh, 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 to me and my brother. We're like, what are they doing? Someone said, they're making fun of your nose. I didn't even know my nose got big. It suddenly grew as I matured. These people were making fun of me. They called us Heckle and Jekyll or the Fruit Loops, you know. But it's tri- not the fun yeah, but the, the thing is, it's funny now. But See, the tiger time, mom and me wants to go yeah. beat the shit out of <laughs> Let's go. You know, those, oh, no. those, those kids probably are now. The, look, look, what, look what the little Fruit Loop boy ended up. Amen, brother. Come on. So that's where I think there's something to be offered when you don't belong. But there's also this danger of like the cancel culture going into this like, well, everyone's canceled. Fuck it. But that's no good. You know, that, and that's the thing is like, I don't want to cancel anybody. No. I don't actually want to say everyone's an asshole. I want to say like this window of time in my life, when I realized that everyone else was an asshole, it gave me permission to go explore my asshole mm. impulses. Mm. So then I talk about shoplifting. 
Then I talk about, okay, well, now I'm going to cheat on tests and lose my virginity. I'm going to jump fences. I'm going to leave. I'm going to skip school. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go to Spain. I'm going to spend money that I don't have. Yeah. I'm going to go to Hollywood. I'm going to chase my dreams. Yeah. Pass the part about the Grateful Dead straight to Booker T. And don't forget the MGs. That's really mostly for me about going from the jam band culture yeah. to the dance club culture. Yeah. Because to me, Booker T was, in my idea, that was what a cool dance club would have. Like, wow. Which is funny. That in your idea, right. Vermont did not have a lot of yeah, dance clubs. It wasn't like this one. You're talking about that cool <laughs> soul. It. You really yeah. identify the soul. I do. I That's, always did. Yeah. Yeah. Is that your main, if you had to pick? Soul, soul. R&B, gospel. That's why you always... Your rock stuff sounds soulful. Yeah. Has R&B in it. I, mean, I can't explain it. I don't know where it comes from. Because you're a soulful person. I think it's I just... Simple. You're soulful. I hear things in music that doesn't belong to me, and I know I'm not appropriating it. I know it's from here. Like, I don't know how. Yeah. I don't know from who. Yeah. I can't explain it back to an ancestor, but there's something in there that unapologetically belongs inside me but not necessarily forever. I don't want to keep it. I'm bringing it through me. Remember, we're spirits in a body. The yeah. body goes, the spirit stays. So this spirit, we have no idea where it came from, but it's great. And it's, that's the antenna. You know, yeah, like our job, yeah. if anything, when we're up all night and yeah. we're maxing ourselves out, what are we really doing? We're trying to transfer that energy from the inside of our bodies yeah. ha, ha, to out of us and finally feeling that relief where we can finally put our head down in bed and say, I've done my job for the day. It just takes I, forever to get there. Yeah, but I have a feeling, I mean, you, it's good to be alive, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I have this phrase, I'll never be as great as I want to be, but I'll spend the rest of my life trying, trying to be as great as I can be. Yeah. Because I love it. Yeah. The journey. I also, there are two words I don't use ever, ever anymore. Mistakes and failures. There are no mistakes. Don't even say them. You know why? If you say mistake and failure, it triggers when somebody told you when you were a little kid that you were a fuck up or you were bad uh -huh. or you failed. You reject it. You yeah. don't want, and I'm very competitive and I'm workaholic. I would stay here till two in the morning all the time. And when I do yeah. something that I wish I hadn't done, I want to go, I go, Kenny, you yeah. know what? There's a new way we do things. Right. When it doesn't work out the way you want, just do it again and again and again. Because you know what? You always get what that, you want in the end. You know what? That's so beautiful. I really, really feel like that's... Do you know the band Built to Spill? The what? The, there's oh, a band yeah, yeah. called Built to Spill. Yeah. And I don't know their music at all. I just always love the title of the N band. Yeah. Because Built to Spill means we know this isn't going to work. Yeah. Like Built to Spill. It's, built and that's to what fail. you learn. That's the gift of and, learning. But fail is not the word they use. Spill is a way better word than crash. <laughs> Crash, you know what I'm saying? Like, no, exactly. To it's fail. It's the same thing. These word, words yeah, are powerful. words are powerful. Mine is should. So I hate that fucking word. Should, should. should. Oh, I, no, it's not I should. A, I am. I have a great I do. therapist that says, yeah. don't should all over yourself. Yeah. <laughs> well, don't should. Yeah, you know, don't should all over yeah. yourself. Should have, would have, could have. Should have, would have, could have. But I actually, like, for my whole life, I think, I have wondered what if I did start talking sooner? What if I hadn't stayed quiet and like sucking my thumb and my tiny four-year-old body? What if I had spoken up sooner? What if I had helped my brother more? What if I had, Whatever. you know what I mean? And Whatever. so you take these things that somebody might call failure, somebody might call bad, just bad. Yeah, so bad. existence, so you wrapping up your own existence and your own identity of self with shame 
is the same as wishing you were dead. I mean, it just is. It's like, I don't want to exist mm. because I'm so ashamed. It's not you did a bad thing. It's you are a bad thing. Oh, that's that's very negative. Yes. And you it's the worst feeling you can possibly have. Yeah, it is. That is my terminology for that is when you go there, you have to be the leader of yourself and reject all negativity. Reject it. It's a waste of fucking time. Yeah. Another word yeah. I try never, ever, ever to use is I'm sorry. Oh, interesting. See, this is a now very check this out. interesting. If thing. I were to say, if I was late to come to mm. you, have dinner at your house, if I'm late, I could go, man, I'm so sorry. Right. Bullshit. You just show up and say, how are you doing? Yeah. You so, skip the sorry because. But Kenny, this is interesting. This is where women and men are different. I'm a woman. I'm sorry all the fucking time. All women are. And it's fucked up. But it's really, really hard to break this habit. Yeah, it I is want hard. a little bit of that. I want a dose of the Kenny Arnoff. Here's what you do. Here's how you do it. Every time you say the word sorry, if you're yep. texting, oh, I'm so sorry. Stop and look at it and go, is there another way I can say this without saying I'm yeah. sorry? And then you start feeling the I power do. of this is a better way to be. It puts you yeah. in. And also, you forget about how you feel. Yeah. When you say you're sorry to somebody, it makes them feel like, oh, my God, I have to say something. Oh, no, that's OK. Yeah. Just skip it. Just go right to, man, I'm so glad to be here. And, and let them yeah. say, well, you're late. I said, That's what you say is I'm glad to be here. Because yeah. what I think is a danger in where where I find the culture, especially American culture, because, again, Brits don't do this. Mm. Brits are always apologetic. Male, right. female, anyway. It's a, a different culture. It's a culture of I'm sorry. Yeah. But in America, women do the apologizing and men do the you're welcome. So what I really mm. want to not do, and this is where I think... As a leader, I feel like I do benefit from having the feminine perspective for one lifetime. And I'm not even talking about a whole lifetime. I'm just talking about 40 years of female here. <laughs> got 40 years under my belt. But walking into a room and instead of saying, you're welcome, I say, thank you for waiting. Not, I'm so psyched to be here right away, but thank you for waiting. Right. Because you have to there acknowledge you that you have made people Thanks. late. Because I'm always late. Yeah. But I'm not always sorry that I'm late. Don't but be, I do yeah. have to learn how to say it better. And I think you're right. I, I do spend a huge amount of my time, like a large, way too much of my time, trying to explain myself to people. And I think it's something that comes from being a woman. I grew up yeah. in a society that said, say you're sorry. Just say you're sorry. Well, practice doing it differently. See what happens. I would love to. I just and, uh, uh, get it, it all out of me. Get every sorry out of me. I'll, One I'll orgasm talk to you and I'll be three done. three months and see how you're doing. Okay, Kenny. Yeah, I'm going to yeah. I'm I'm sign. Dr. Ken. You know, it's like. I'm in. I Kenny, I didn't say I'm sorry. Hey, Drew, can we make a note of this? I'm, I'm not going to apologize once for the next three yep. months. Yep. Got it. He didn't say I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, that's because he's a man. Yep. He doesn't have to be I'm sorry. I, I'm telling you, there's a little bit of a difference. No, 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 no. It's no. very real. Well, it's hey, very listen, real. Listen, we're all the product of our upbringing. Yeah. We're product of where we came from. But yeah. we're in this life. Yeah. We had parents and we lived in an environment. And you yeah. learn from that. Now, the next chapter of life yeah. is to decide how I'm going to do it different. Yeah, like don't be how am I going to do it different now? Yeah. What do I want to keep? You're never going to get rid of the feeling of habits that you learned. Those are hardwired. Urgent. Hardwired. But what you can do is say, I'm going to replace those feelings with this feeling now. And then the more you do it, the more this gets closer to this. This now becomes a trigger to the new way. I would love Does that. Do you like that? Yeah, I would love that. You can create all that. Every time I walk on stage, I feel... You're welcome. Like, I feel that feeling. Yeah. 
Or if well, I'm nice. late, if I'm late, I would never apologize for walking on stage because I think that's my gift. Yeah. I think that's my purpose. Good. You shouldn't apologize. But walking into a room, and again, this probably comes back to my nocturnal days of like, I can't believe there's anyone who wants to be around me, let alone. That's like a Woody Allen thing. It is. It's, I'm very Woody Allen. I'm yeah. very Woody Allen. I'm extremely apologetic all the time, yeah. but it doesn't mean that I don't know that I'm shouldering the burden of generations of women and grandmothers and, yeah. and probably chiefs from yeah. way, way, way far back that don't actually want me to feel sorry. They want me to have been empowered by now. And they, they wanted for, and there's, it's the same thing with anything like addiction, with storytelling that we live inside of, anything in our lives that we believe hate living inside a story that somebody else built for me. I refuse to be a victim. I really That's do. That's good. You know, but I also have to recognize that like compassion has a shorthand called I'm sorry. That's really what women have going for mm -hmm. us is that we have to see each other and hear each other without basically plagiarizing the words and bullshit that our grandmothers built around womanhood. But with that comes a deal breaker thing, which is that you either have to be beautiful, you have to be talented, which I am. You have to be and both. Beautiful. Well, that was both. after the fact. I mean, I wasn't beautiful to begin right. with. The ugly duckling thing is part of the I'm sorry. Yeah. Is that I can't, yeah. I still can't believe that I'm. Right. Well, that, that's. Attractive just, just, to look at. But yeah, I yeah, understand yeah. that that's become a part of my part identity. Part of your life lesson. But it's, what if I wasn't? Would I well, have to still say I'm sorry when I walk in a room or not? You know? No, but maybe it would not. There'd be always something. Always Nobody, there's always something. That was just that's what I was going to say. That's what life is. If it's, I wanted to pick apart every problem, yeah. I could always have a reason for being sorry. So yeah. I love this ethos. I'm going to say no more I'm sorry. No more sorry. For three just, fucking months. Yeah. And I'm going to see how many people call me a cunt in the next three months. Yeah. And I'll come back to you with that. Okay, you okay? can. Then we'll, I'll come Grace up Potter's a fucking cunt. <laughs> she didn't even apologize for being 40. Wait, four hours late. For her set at Bonnaroo. Well, probably my first, my first thought is you can say it once. Second time, you're out of my life. Well, you're that's, gone. yeah, that's the problem. And that's you're the gone. thing is like, I want to make sure that I have room for forgiveness as well. Yeah. Without the apology, where's the forgiveness? I think that's really what apologies are, is actually a forecasting of asking for forgiveness from somebody else. Yeah. I think that's really what I'm sorry. God, I never thought about it till just now, but I think that's what it is. Yeah. We're getting into some deep shit that has nothing well, to I told you we were going to go deep. And you sent me a text that went, I, said, I want to go deep. And it was capital letters. I kept thinking, how deep does she go? Oh, I'm dick deep. I'm <laughs> dick deep before we walked in the room, motherfucker. Oh, how many more inches do you, can you take? Twelve. <laughs> you weren't sure at first. You weren't sure. Anyways, at the end of the day, though, can I just repeat what I said? Because I want to make sure I said yeah. it correctly. Yeah. Saying I'm sorry for anything is a premonition of asking forgiveness later from that same person. It's the expectation of compassion back at somebody. Yeah. But I think it's a female built, it's a female clad stratosphere that we have built around each other. I don't know if it's real or not, but I do know that I subscribe to it somewhere in there accidentally. I didn't fuck it. I don't remember signing up for it. Like the BMI music thing where you pay a penny for a CD and suddenly you have bad credit. I think you weren't in that window of time. But when I was a kid, yeah. you could get 13 CDs for $13. Oh, wow. 
And then they send you the bill later and oh. they start telling you you're going to have bad credit and you're going to have a bad credit oh, score. Wow, what a scam. Oh, it was a big scam. It was at BMG. It was BMG. Wow, what BMG a scam. Music. Wow. Yeah, I got Tripping Daisy, Atlantis Morissette, Space Hog, Nirvana, Pearl Jam. Wow. Um, Violent Femmes. Wow, that's a good record. Back in I, I, August and Everything After by the Counting Crows, maybe one REM record. And then that was it. And I got bad credit for like... 30 years. Again, I don't remember subscribing to it, but I also don't remember agreeing to say I'm sorry for everything. But I do think women just apologize yeah. all fucking day for everything. And I'm tired. Yeah, of it. It's probably, so I'm, I'm yeah. done. I'm done. I'm not sorry. Kenny, I'm not sorry. No, no more sorry. I love it. So let me ask you one more thing. So you're this obviously just majorly magical, unique, special a shooting star, a bright light. There's nobody like you. And I saw the first time I saw you on stage, I was like, holy shit, who is this person? You know? So music is who you are, but it's not the only thing in your life. So at this point right now, at the young age of 40, what is music to you? Where does it fit into your life? Is it who you are? Is it a part of you? Like, it's really? a train. It's the train I'm on. Train you're on, It's yeah. a fucking super-powered train. It's the TGV. Have you ever ridden on the Tejave? No. It's that like bullet train that goes from... Well, I've been on one in Japan. It was so... Oh, yeah. Fast. It's a bullet train. Yeah. It's, it is, I think it, it is the only engine I've ever met that operates at the same scalable, receivable, and outputable levels that I have. Truly. Because yeah. I think if you look at filmmaking, if you look at any film you love, any a masterpiece by any artist, it takes such a long fucking time well, yeah. to make it. I don't have time for that. Yeah. And when I feel... So you want to be the bullet train, just go as fast. I agree with you. Life is music short. Music is fast. You, you want to... Look at... Every day is valuable. Yeah. But music is fast storytelling too. Yeah. Like what a musician can fit into two and a half minutes of a song yeah. is something that a filmmaker might spend seven years creating their opus around yeah. only to fail. Yeah. And not get nominated yeah, yeah, yeah. for the That's fucking the so Toronto Film Festival thing they wanted or whatever. People's vision of who they can be is only as big or as small as what they create. And music somehow is this impermeable membrane of connectivity deeper yeah. than many, many other mediums. I wish that filmmaking was as fast as music making because I, I do wish there was a visual always attached to my yeah. creativity. There's so many more variables. It's, it's, it's so... You know and I mean? you're making decisions for the listener. Yeah. And that's what I think is dangerous about, I think it's why music is so safe, because it's a heartbeat. And yeah. again, you are a drummer, so you understand that yeah. the physiological experience of oh yeah, yeah. is going to feel different than if you hear doom, 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 while you're watching a race car going down mm, a speeding yeah. track. The visual with the, context. the sound, yeah. Yeah, your brain is doing yeah. many, 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 many more bits of process. Well, I create my own movies in my head while I'm playing. <laughs> Me too. That's exactly yeah. what I've been. Yeah. That's the trip I've been on is trying to actually. So, I mean, just, yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a cool thing about music is that you can write music, you can record it, you go out and perform it. Yeah. And then you, you change. Now we can do it again. Yeah. So it's just, it's, it's, a, it's, it's expression. It's communicating. It's, it's letting you expressing yourself. I was going to say, it's almost therapy. Yeah. Too. It is. Yeah. If you're someone who wants to express themselves, we're in the right business. Amen, brother. I got to say, this is like when I'm on stage and I say music is medicine. Yeah. 
I don't mean it like metaphysically or metaphorically. Yeah. I mean, it's medicine, like yeah. the way you might spend money on a massage, yeah. the way that you might buy a ticket to go on a cruise with that person you really want to reconnect with. Yeah. One concert experience can feel like a lifetime yeah. because you're there for it. And it's this it's concentrated moment where everybody's eyes and thoughts and feelings are all coalescing. And this is you as the performer, but also the people in the audience. So it's all this. They matter so yeah. much more. And, they, and you matter. I mean, you know what I'm saying? The it's performer like, is one piece. She's the invocator. Right. Right. I think right. of Tina Turner as the person who would come in like a witch on yeah. a broomstick yeah. and sweep up the yeah. souls of everybody in the room and like swirl them together yeah. into a lather. And by the time you even stop to think about how this song matters in your life, You've already been converted. Yeah. You've already converted, and so has everyone around you. You know what? Because people are feeling creatures. Yeah. Your brain, it can only, can't catch up. It's trying to catch up mm -hmm. to what feeling, feelings are like. They're right Instant. there. Yeah, they're right there. Apparently, one final sidetrack, but apparently the show Friends, the reason why the show Friends was so successful, yeah. because every single episode was directed so that the emotion would show on the actor's face immediately. Boy, because they had that. Nobody ever had that before. <laughs> when you show what it feels yeah. like to be the receiver of like, Monica, didn't you know Phoebe's pregnant with Joey's baby? Yeah. Oh, yeah, like yeah. That fucking Scooby-Doo reaction that was great. never happened. Yeah. And it's why that show connected so hard. It was uh, like live music. It was yeah, like uh, watching a I concert. Agree. I, I agree. That's, a, that's like live music in yeah, a visual format. Your internal dialogue and your external and your eyes are seeing what your body is feeling before your body had a chance to process yeah. what they just went yeah. through. Feelings are the truth, man. Which is why when I see an audience full of people that are like, oh, I know. I'm not worried. It means they might be lost with me. They're not bummed oh, out. Right. They're not. They're just, yeah. I don't need the big golden yeah, retriever. They're connected and that's the only way. They, they're, they're like, they they're might just, just be lost in it. Yeah, and you got to give them good, credit. Forgive them for making a stupid face. Everybody should be able to make at least yeah. 17 stupid faces at a You're right, because they're just, they, they, they've dropped out of their body. Yeah. They've they're dropped just, out of their faces just like that. Their and faces they're like, slack, they're but that doesn't mean that they're not enjoying it. Yeah. It's so awesome. It was a big lesson I had to learn as a musician. Yeah, I know. Because, because I took we, it real oh, personal. I used to, when I was young, I'd be like, what with those Why people? Why do you think I don't wear glasses on stage anymore? Why do you think I wear glasses? <laughs> <laughs> You're blocking them out. I am too. It's just, you we know have what? different so methods. So I speak in front of, you know, large crowds, yeah. 500,000. I love my glasses. I thought, what's it like if you didn't? Yeah. I take them off. I'm like, I just feel like powerful, like Thor with this hammer. Yeah, it's your superhero cape. It's my superhero cape. So Beyonce has Sasha Fierce. That's her yeah. like persona. Yeah. Mine is Lady Vagabond. Yeah. And I think everybody has a place they go when they don't feel safe. We all have our binkies. For me, music is kind oh, yeah, of my just... binky. Like, I drumming? don't know who I am when I'm singing. I don't actually feel my face. Right. I'm definitely not thinking about what my body's doing. I'm not thinking about, hey, isn't this a cool dance move? Wayne Coyne from The Flaming Lips told me, being on stage with Grace Potter is like rehearsing for the end of the world, knowing exactly where the fire escape is, knowing exactly who's going to come pick you up and where you're going to go into what bunker, and then having the end of the world happen and then she just takes a fucking escalator up into the stars and brings you with her. Like, I don't yeah. care about rehearsal. I really can't fucking fuck around 
And it's not like I'm good. I know that sometimes it makes the show worse yeah. to not give. You must rehearse at least once. If I could avoid it, I, I would. I but I do have to rehearse. I, I, guess. I have to rehearse. You sometimes. have to figure out which I keys really, you're playing in. I didn't know today. I was playing with Warner Brothers. Oh, and I, I was like, it. I don't fucking know. I love it. I played it. two songs I'd never played on guitar today. I love it. Live. I love it. That's fantastic. I don't believe in rehearsal, except that music does require that you pick an instrument and that you actually like know what hold it has to get covered. Yeah. The second my brain is thinking about that, I have already lost you. I've already lost you. Yeah. I only want to be with people. Yeah. And if there's an instrument that will get out of my way enough that I can bang on it and yeah. like make a noise yeah. and it connects. Why drumming, I think. That's why. Why do you think I'm married to all the drummers? That's right. I marry only drummers. That's right. Uh-huh. Oh. I like me some drummers. Man, I still got a chance. <laughs> To get away from my current husband to, you know. Oh, Eric's great, man. He's a badass drummer. He's the best. He's the best. Aww. I'm going to come see you guys in Vermont. You have to. I promise. I will. The studio awaits. So does my dog, my son, and a dirt pile. So that when all else fails son and, and there's I, nothing I else to do. I can't wait to do the sports with him. You've got to do the sports. Oh, I Get will. him throwing a football. Get yeah. him throwing a soccer ball. Oh, I've been Lacrosse. Is uh, that what you do? Yeah, lacrosse. NFL. I'm a Hall of uh, Indians. Okay. All sports. I love it. I'm ready. Right. I mean, his hair's going to get in the way. He's long, long hair. Okay. Maybe you should get him to shave it. Maybe if he sees your hair, he'll get this no, idea. I, I, I'm going to encourage him to grow it longer. He's so he won't be shaving in the dark anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs>